Today's Bible reading is from Exodus. So the first one is Exodus 32, verses 9 to 14. I have sent these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented, and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Our next lot is 33 verses 1 to 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought, brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you, and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. I might destroy you on the way. And then we're finishing with 11 to 17 of Exodus 33. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you, you by name. This is the word of the Lord. Righto, now we're going to talk about the most vital ingredient today, and uh, there's something about this that I have to say to you right at the start, we haven't nailed this down by any means, okay? You know, it's, I don't really like talking about things that we've experienced to some extent this, but not to the extent that I'd like to experience it, okay? So this is what we're going to be talking about. The thing that's your cornerstone, the things that's in your box that you're just not going to 
give up and you build your life around is a little bit different to that, isn't it? Isn't it? In fact, would you say, well, what is your cornerstone? What is the cornerstone of your life? That everything else really builds around and up from. What is it? Your faith. It's really the fact that somehow, somewhere along the line, you've come face to face with a living God, in a sense. However that sort of looks in your particular story, and in fact it has changed you forever and you're never going to be the same because of it and in fact everything goes back to that cornerstone you make decisions about that you make your decisions about what employment you do how you're going to run your marriage how you're going to bring your kids up uh, how much money comes in and how much money goes out where you spend your money all of those sorts of things are really based back in that cornerstone um, of your faith would you say would you agree with that Every now and again, though, we might make decisions that, you know, aren't really back there because we're probably a few steps away from it sometimes and we sometimes make decisions that, you know, may well be, you know, maybe not that sort of a cornerstone. Anyway, that's, that's where we're going today. Right, what we need to do, because this story is such a long story and, um, and we're trying to cover it so quickly, let's run through it. This is what happens in chapters 19 to 31 of uh, Exodus. Uh, they come to Mount Sinai. Now, this is what God says. He says, I want you to consecrate yourselves and wash yourselves, wash your oily clothes, and I want you then to come to the foot of the mountain. And there's lightning and thunder and all that sort of stuff, and God sort of speaks. I think he speaks the Ten Commandments at that point, and they hear him, and they, and they get scared, and they say to Moses, Oh, you go and talk on our behalf. You talk to us, hear what God's got to say, and talk to us and we will be obedient to you. But don't let God talk to us, otherwise we'll surely die. That's what they say. They back off. They back off a bit and say, keep a bit of separation between us and God. All right, the Ten Commandments are given, a whole series of other sorts of things uh, about your serve, the covers of servants you buy, your eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, gored by a bull, all those sorts of really important stuff. How many people have been gored by a bull lately? <laughs> and lend to someone in need, don't charge interest, that sort of thing. Uh, leave your land, rest on the seventh year. That's an interesting one. Uh, instructions to make the, cabin, the tabernacle, God's dwelling place, all of that sort of stuff comes out in those. But then this is what happens. God gave Moses two tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God because God went back up after the people backed off. He went up into the mountain. And by the way, Aaron, he said, bring, God said, bring Aaron up with you. But he doesn't go. Aaron is found back at the foot of the mountain when the golden calf happens. I don't know what, what happened there, but he missed a, missed a great opportunity. All right, so the finger of God has inscribed all these laws on these tablets. And, and in fact, this is the next bit was they'd all taken some time, 40 days and 40 nights, about six weeks. Okay? And then the golden calf. Oh, no, no, stupid, stupid, stupid people. But the trouble is, as soon as I wrote that, and as soon as I think that, I think, oh, a bit like me, really, isn't it? It's a really a bit like us. We can do stupid, stupid things every now and again, which we probably regret, but might not have been that stupid nonetheless, but not as stupid as them, I mean. We might do things that, anyway, it doesn't matter. And Moses got angry. He got angry. He was an angry man on occasions. There was a few, few occasions when... Moses got angry beyond angry and he threw the stone tablets down he broke them and uh, God also got angry he wants to wipe them out and then this great passage where Moses speaks on Israel's behalf okay and not long after the equally great passage where Moses pleased with God not to do withdraw his presence and in fact 
I would say, I don't like people saying this, but if, if I was to say, what are your favourite passages in the Bible, this would be my top five favourite passages. I really like this. And not only that, in, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to ask you if you would bring along your life coach verses out of the Bible and, and share it with people. And one of these is mine, and that is, oh Lord, don't send us up from here unless your presence goes with us, because what else will distinguish us from anyone else on the faces of the earth unless your presence is with us that's one of the things if i'm sort of thinking and wherever i am i think that and i think oh well must we better do something to make sure that you know we're actually generating or allowing or cultivating some sort of an atmosphere where his presence uh, would be content to dwell right now this is a great passage this is a lot of stuff going on here we could talk about these sorts of things we could talk about the priesthood of all believers you know the the fact that moses his standing it's a classic case of standing between god and men isn't he so he talks to god and then goes and talks to israel and then he hears what israel's doing and he goes back to god and he talks to god about that he is just a classic case of standing between god and man in a wonderful wonderful sort of way and not only that you see some incredible ability or incredible giftedness because of that. God's plans aren't final. Whoa, really? Is that something? Would you think that? But it seems in this passage we would be at least willing to explore it where, where Moses goes and God says something and you'd think what he says, he'd be right. He said, I'm going to wipe these people off the face of the earth. And Moses goes to him and says, hang on a minute i'd like you to think again and change your ideas well that's another thing that we could talk about intercession and boldness now when we hold that amazing position we can intercede for the worst of the worst and be, be able to be bold in doing that that's amazing and then this crazy six-week faith these people are only three months from the red sea roughly and then six weeks without moses and suddenly they just drop everything and let's make ourselves a golden calf let's just go and not only that god had actually said to them again not just in the ten commandments he said don't you make a graven image don't you do anything like that when we look at that they it it might not be as bad as it seems but it is certainly very 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 bad really terrible really shocking anyway we could talk about that israel are now leaning towards evil it's a funny sort of a thing is in fact one of the things that we read out not so long about we pray along those lines or brother lawrence prayed along those lines he said if you don't intercede on my behalf if you don't walk with me then the only thing i will drift into is evil you know and we sort of know that being stiff-necked hard to lead stubborn that's true you know we're so much like that and then god's presence God's presence, that's the, that's the other one that, you know, this sort of has a wandering through all of what we're talking about is really this God's presence. And that's what we're really going to talk about. We're going to talk about God's presence again. We've already talked a bit about it, but it sort of seems to be a lingering thing in my life, which we've never quite nailed down. But we talked about with Brother Lawrence's ideas, and he said, you know, constant conversation, keep it real and simple, bring the Lord into everything, get over it and get on with it, didn't we? We said those things worth looking at those again and in fact if we could write them on the wall we should they they almost should be on the wall like one of those things to remind us constantly that that's what we're doing all right so this time with moses so god offers moses the following and this is not bad you know this if you and i were looking at this you'd say oh thank you very much i'd be pretty satisfied with this first of all i'm going to make you into a great nation oh that sounds all right doesn't it so in fact god is going to wipe out israel and he's going to take 
Moses, me, I'm going to be taking the first person. You're going to take me and make me into a great nation. So my kids are going to have kids and their kids are going to have kids and it won't be long down the track that there is going to be a, a buscom nation. Whoa, how good is that? That is very appealing. And you know what Moses says? He says, Lord, if you're going to blot them out, you blot me out with them. There's a passage in there that he says, I don't want that. I want you to make sure that if you blot them out, you blot me out with them. Stowning. And then he says, okay, well, I'll still give you and Israel the, the promised land. That's pretty good. All right, so we've, we've blotted our copybook here, but we're still going to get the benefits over here. That's pretty good, isn't it? I reckon that's fair enough. And then I'm going to send an angel before you because the truth of it is if I go with you, you stiff-necked people, I'm surely going to kill you along the way because you are just a pack of stiff-necked people. I could have said something else there, but I didn't. Stiff-necked people. And if, in fact, you're not careful, I will kill you. Now, get going. That's why I added that little bit. And I would have thought, oh, that's not bad. You know, we've got out of it fairly lightly. Really, we're still going to get a reasonable result there. Moses knows this, though. Being a patriarch of a great nation, getting, still getting the promised land, or even angels all of which are pretty darn good, aren't they? And they are. They, they are. We'd be satisfied with that. As good as they are, they are certainly not enough or certainly not the best. Okay, so Moses understands that they're not the best. And sometimes I think, you know, this is maybe the thing that we just settle for the second best. And he says this. He holds out for something far, far more significant and that is the Lord's continuing presence, the presence of God in his, you know, in his little company and within, in his life and in the life of Israel. All right, presence is everything. In fact, this could be our cornerstone. This could be the bottom line. This could be the thing that we would never, ever give up if we sort of sense it. We, this might be the very, very thing that we're not trade. We will not trade. This is certainly Moses not trading this. He would not trade this for anything. In fact, he says that his presence is everything. The highest blessing, it enriches all other blessings, and makes earthly blessings truly worth having. Ultimately, leads us to rest internally. Everything is all, all right because he's walking with us. There is something wonderful about it. In fact, what else will distinguish it from all the other people on the face of the earth? Nothing. What else does, distinguishes it from all the other places? I find that really hard to actually express that well enough, okay? I find it really hard to express it because you almost have to experience it like the flu. You know, you don't know how good the flu is until you've had it, do you? But that's probably not the best example. Let me use another example, love. What about this? You don't know. In fact, you almost have to somehow get an understanding of this that is so deep that it is not unlike the person that you love. Righto, now I fall in love with Anne even though she's a stiff-necked person. No, 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 let's not go there. I fall in love with Anne and I say to you, oh, she is, she is the greatest chick that has ever come across my life. I would not trade anything for her. She is wonderful. But most of the rest of you wander past her and say, oh, yeah, she's okay, don't they? We sort of do that. We, say, we wander past and we say, yeah. Oh, she's, and some of you will say, oh, she's not bad looking. And other people say, well, she's got grey hair. And maybe she's a bit too old for me, and others will say all sorts of things. But I say, I say, I'm not going to trade her for anything. She is absolutely, absolutely wonderful to me and for me. And I'm not going to live my life without her. 
but in fact sometimes I think that's what we do with God's presence we accept the second best accept the second best and in fact we don't sort of think along those lines we are we are like the bulk of the people in regard to Anne and they say oh yeah she's okay I like her in a red coat and uh, her grey hair's okay but you know that's okay and we do like her and we like her influence in our lives but really she hasn't got we have, they haven't got the same sort of involvement with her as I have all right now I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about this now and you are going to say to me uh, tell me you peanut this is not your position to comment in fact I'm pretty disappointed in you you've you got to leave that alone do not comment okay can you can anyone say that to me now please <laughs> do not comment all right I'm going to tell you a couple of stories that this happened this week and I I sat there thinking because we were thinking about this I just wonder whether I'll tell you <coughs> all right we got a newsletter from friends who work with Wycliffe Bible translators we went to Church of Christ in Horsham with them and the Church of Christ in Horsham Horsham is one of those great towns that decided not to put a com competitive Baptist Church of Christ churches in the town so when the Church of Christ was there the Baptist didn't decide not to plant a church there all right and so they said in their newsletter well finally the new Horsham Church of Christ was officially opened and you should see it it is just outstanding we go there and the picture of this building and it's a state-of-the-art it's plush it's pretty it's special lighting comfortable and expensive i remember hearing about the stories about how much it cost and it was it was sort of in the millions anyway and then it blew out to be in the multi-millions you know it was lots and lots and lots and lots of cash and it is just there it is wonderful it's just the best facility you're just looking at it and you're thinking whoa Oh, would I have been willing? Would I have been willing? Would you have been willing to commit yourself to that sort of cash? That's sort of amazing. That is really amazing. And it's just plush and comfortable. And I'm thinking, and this is where I shouldn't go there because, in fact, it's not up to me to. I mean, I don't know whether God led them there or anything like that, but I'm just wondering whether God just leads us into that sort of comfort. And I'm wondering whether that plush, that beautiful carpet and the plush and wonderful seating that allows you to sit there and sort of nod off and, and all of that lovely band, they've got 14 bands out the front and they've got everything and they've got this lovely stage and I'm just wondering whether really that is of God or whether they might end up in a spot where they're just so, so well off that they don't need God and they can say to them, like I've said here before, don't worry about turning up today, old son. We've got it covered, you know. We've got all of this in here. And that's what I think. But tell me again what I shouldn't be doing. Not up to me to judge that at all. And, and in fact, I went looking in the Bible and saying, did God ever do that before? Well, he did. He did. And he said to them, when he sent them into the promised land, my goodness, he said, you observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking your ways and reverencing him, and you do not forget the Lord your God, he said, when you've eaten and satisfied and praise the Lord your God for the good the land that he has given you, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And he goes on and he says, you may be say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and, and so confirms his covenant. So that's what happened when they went to the promised land. And we know that story. They did. They got wealthy and they sort of wandered away and their life with the Lord was up and down, up and down, up and down, wandered away, just ended up being in a real mess. All right, that's the first story. And just tell me again, I shouldn't have gone there, should I? Because as soon as you start criticizing people, you start saying, well, I know better than them. 
All right, the second one is, I'm going to criticize someone else. I was sitting with another pastor, a, a friend, who I really like this bloke, really like this bloke, and he was telling me about how he, his church and another church in Ballarat are deciding to get together and become one church. His church is about 80 people, 80 plus. The church they're getting together is 120. Why are you doing this? Well, so that you can get together and there's a bigger place and they, you know, they can have more ministries and they advertise more ministries to more people and all of that sort of stuff. And nice new building, put a building there that is lovely and you've got all these facilities to, to work for the other people and all of that sort of stuff. And I was sitting there thinking and I wanted to say to them, I wanted to say, but I didn't, I want, because I know that I, this is not my position to comment or to tell anyone about it unless I tell them about it. Is that what I'm doing now? <laughs> I think it is. But I wanted to say to them, the building and the number of seats and how much music you've got and the size of the number of bands and the size of the car park, as good as those things are, as good as those things are, they are nothing. You know, if you haven't got the presence of God in that place, if you haven't got something that is vital and just alive and well, then you have got nothing. And in fact, my thinking was that they were just so lacking a purpose in life with their, with their church that they decided to do something to really stir the churches up. That's, what, that's why I thought of it. And I wondered really this, in both of those cases, the Horsham Church of Christ and this new gathering in, in Ballarat, I wondered whether his presence would be the thing that distinguishes them from all the other people on the face of the earth. I wonder if that's the case, or will, will the Horsham Church of Christ be known as, or oh, that big ch new church that is so plush and costs millions of dollars out the back, or this new, or the same one in Ballarat. Will it be the thing that actually distinguishes them from all the other people on the face of the earth? Now that's a call to us as well. That's something for us as well. And we would want, want to make sure that we never got that wrong. Righto, let's keep going. And you can say to me again, shouldn't really have gone there. Shouldn't have really gone. And as soon as you start criticizing people, I want to know, I want you to know that I, I, I'm aware of that, okay? I'm really aware that you shouldn't, you shouldn't start doing those sorts of things and I'm on shaky ground because I'm not really sure whether the Lord had a hand in it or not. Just was my immediate impression. So here's Moses. He's got that lovely, lovely relationship with the Lord, will not give up on the presence of the Lord. And then he asks this amazing, amazing thing because he can speak to the Lord at that sort of a level, face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And this is what he says. He, wanted, he wants to ask God, firstly, will relent of your fierce and reasonable anger? You know, God has got this fierce and reasonable... And in fact, Moses says that he agrees with God. He says, of course they're a stiff-necked people. They're, they're a bunch, they're the hardest people to deal with you could come across. Of course they need punishment, but I'm asking you to relent. And that a holy God will have so much mercy upon a stiff-necked people, they will not only go up with them to the promised land, but also that God would make them into a distinct people among all the peoples of the earth. Isn't that a remarkable request? So God comes in and asks the impossible, or Moses comes in and asks God the impossible. And if that's crazy, then God's answer is just doubly so. He says, the very thing that you have spoken I will do for you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Wow. Fancy being in a position like that with God. Fancy having that wonderful position with God like that. All right, now let me state a problem. We know that we live under the new covenant. We walk in the spirit and we've got, we've got our theology sort of settled with this. We know we've talked about this as Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, that you, 
you, the hope you have of displaying the nature and character of God and the power of God to some extent. And we know that there's a fantastic amount of stuff that goes on in our lives all the time that there is along those lines. However, but we still find ourselves reasonably powerless, I reckon. You know, when, you don't, when we ask something outrageous like Moses says, we don't often get the answer that we'd really, really love, do we? We don't, we don't often see many healings or all of those sorts of things. And in fact, there's a lot of those sort of things that we sort of look and we wonder whether we've got it right or not. Even though there are some great, really good things that happen. You'd understand, we'd agree with that. All right. And can we say that our churches are distinguished from all other people on the face of the earth because of God's presence? Would you think that that's the case in Wangaratta? Would you say the people of Wangaratta would know that the Wangaratta Baptist Church is different simply because of the presence of God there? Or do they just not know about us? Largely, it's probably just because we don't know about it, don't we? All right, now we've got two possibilities here. To me, there's a bit of a gap there, and I sort of suspect that in spite of the great things that do happen and the obvious understanding of that God is involved in our lives, and in spite of our theology that says that we do have the Holy Spirit and we walk around with the Holy Spirit in our lives, that sometimes we still think, you know, maybe we're settled for second best here and we might not quite have the presence of God that, that blows the place apart, that really does something that is quite uniquely different so how do you bridge that gap what is that if there is a bit of a gap there how do you bridge it now there's two possible answers here and i want you to choose one's a pretty challenging one or the other is far more orthodox and standard and you sort of get about it type answers all right which one do you want because we haven't got time to do both challenging one or the orthodox one challenging one you sure all right, now, you've got to make sure you don't... You know, did someone mention... Did you say there was a send-off next week to us? All right. Can we, can we still make sure that's the case after this? <laughs> or, or, that, or we're happy to wave goodbye today if that's okay. But it is a bit challenging, but, but it doesn't matter really. It doesn't matter at all. And I want you to make sure that you, that you maybe take this and store it away for future thought rather than... Um, thinking that this is what you might have to do now because I'm going to tell you a story, um, someone else's story and it's about God Among the Zulus by Kurt Koch. Has anyone read that book? Did I pull this out at any stage and show it to you one other time? I don't know how I got this book. This is the most, most unappealing cover that you'd ever come across and I usually buy books because the cover looks nice and pretty and in fact I noticed that when you look on Amazon books now it looks a lot, lot better now than it did then. Okay, it's his story, and it's about the story of Erlo Stegen, and he was a very conservative Lutheran fella, and this is going to be hugely condensed. But I was going to stand up here and do it because I wanted to rest the book on a, on a page. And I want, you to read, I want to read some of his stories. What we're talking about here is that something that we don't really like that much. We wouldn't really like that idea of... We don't like the idea that we haven't got the Holy Spirit well and truly active in our lives. All right. Okay, now this is what... Let me tell you a little bit of the story and then read a little bit of the story to you as well. Erlo Stegen was a young fella, grew up on a farm, um, brother, had four brothers, and they were really strong Lutherans, okay? And he ended up uh, getting to the stage of his life where he really wondered whether the Lord was calling him into full-time ministry. But he ended up... Um, 
being a bit worried about that and he asked the Lord at one stage in fact he was talking about his pastor and his pastor took him to a conference and this is what happened during their participation in this conference and a great struggle took place in Erlo's heart he asked himself must I really become a preacher or could I not earn enough money as a farmer and support the work of the Lord financially in a still place at the conference site he proposed this plan to the Lord and he said please put your seal on this I want to convey this plan to my minister and my parents and he opened the Bible and before him lay Matthew 4 verse 19 and it said he said unto him follow me and I will make you fishers of men and he knew that it was called however upon reading these words Erlo took up a defiant attitude and in relation to the incident he said to me it was only by the grace of God that prevented me from throwing away the Bible I was so annoyed that I thought I will show you that I will not follow this path I will go my own way without you and he spent then from 1950 to 1952 the old story uh, he went through terrible torments because of course he had after all deliberately decided against God's call and if he heard any unusual rustle outside he would imagine that the final day of reckoning had come for him and so he'd gone against the Lord and he thought anything was just about to come upon him and deck him all right one day though after in 1952 he fell on his knees and he said Lord I, I apologize just confirm to me what you might want me to do and he opened the Bible and said feed my sheep and he knew that he had to go to Bible college and he said he did he went to a place Bible college in Pretoria and he became a preacher and an evangelist all right now this is where it comes in he found the first evangelical activity of Erlo extended over approximately 12 years from 1954 to 66 at the beginning um, the Bible school was transferred to a place um, during several services in the course of my first uh, second South African tour I became acquainted with this place which was so beautifully situated however his first distressing discovery was realizing that our proclamation of the word and people's reaction to it do not correspond with biblical happenings he compared disciples history uh, with that of Christian community life today and he told himself that we have sunk far below the spiritual normal or the spiritual level of the New Testament and during his Bible study, he often asked, came to a stop at certain biblical promises, and these were them. And these are the ones that we would have come across in our time too. And, and I'll tell you a little bit later where we sort of uh, just let them loose. We didn't address them, but he came across these st verses. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will, and it will be done for you. Another one, he who believes in me, the scriptures hath said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water and then verily I say unto you he that believes on me the works that I do you will do as well and greater works than these you'll do because I go to my father now they're pretty strong promises aren't they promises that actually we don't see so much in our church he searched for the key of Christian life as seen in the case of the very first Christians and he read every book that he cut on revival um, and, and he pledged himself to intensive prayer and using every opportunity for the proclamation of the gospel. Believers gave him the money to buy a big tent and that began Erlo's tent missions. But this is what he was still weighed down by this longing for some sort of revival, some sort of you know, life that came from it all. And he would prolong the tent missions in the place for 12 or even 14 months and then thinking that that would force a breakthrough. 
That's astounding. He'd go there for 12 months and he'd go out to 14 months and they would preach twice a day, every, every day for those 14 months or the 12 or 14 months, twice a day preaching. And in fact, what he found was a person can preach to one's audience into deadness by going on for too long. And in any case, it worried him very much that people turned, that less and less and less people turned up as time went on. Now that's sort of our problem, isn't it? That's sort of what it talks about. We see those scriptures that says, you'll do this and more, and yet um, we don't see it. And so he's got to that point. Um, one day a mother came to her after a mother after came to Erlo after a service and he asked, Is it true that Jesus is still the same today and that he still hears prayers today? Erlo confirmed the truth of this. The mother was very glad and she said, Please heal my daughter. The Zulas are childlike in their faith and they accept the Bible as it is written. Erlo accompanied this woman to her home and when he saw her daughter tied to a pole with wire, he had this um, the wire was cutting deep into her flesh. And he asked why the mother, quite indignantly asked the mother, why do you bind the girl with wire? And she explained that my daughter, who was about 20 years old, runs about naked in the schools and she rips the plants and neighbours and gardens and becomes violent. And he was still not satisfied. Why don't you use thick rope instead of the wire? And she said she breaks every rope except the wire. All right, so he decided that he would say to her, um, we'll take the girl back to our home and we'll pr pray continually for her in order for a breakthrough. All right, so four people prayed for her practically night and day for three weeks. Now, this is the sort of thing that we would might try. If we were dead serious, this is the sort of thing that we would try. Three weeks. At length, Erlo's physical strength was virtually at an end, and he was practically a wreck. Moreover, he was spiritually exhausted too. No one could answer the questions and the cries of his heart. Oh, Lord, why are we today completely powerless? And he had to put her in a room with no furniture because she, as soon as she, they let her loose, she broke everything and may cause havoc. Anyway, there's no answer to that one. She didn't get wetter. He just ended up being a little bit more unsettled. And yet it was this spiritual bankruptcy that was God's plan. And as long as we insist on working on our own, even though we may work with the best of will to fulfill our duty to the utmost, the power of the glorified Lord is not revealed in our service. Only when we come to a dead end, only when we come to our wit's end, only when all the self-reliance has been shattered, can, we, can the Lord begin to work. And that was what Erlo was to experience. The Lord did not leave him to his own need and to doubt. All right, time for the great swing, the great changeover. This is after, remember, it was 12, 14 years that it took for this to come about. You know, we can tell this story within you know, the five minutes now, but it took a long time to get to that stage. Um, a new beginning came. And during the autumn of 1966, Erlo was in a place, and after bitter experience of the furious years, he started a Bible study among the Christians to see if their spiritual lives matched up with the Holy Scriptures. He was at a place, a cathedral. How about this? He was in, he stopped the story of healing of a cripple, and he, and he told of a little incident. He was a well-known scholar who'd come to this cathedral for a series of lectures. And the offerings were given were generous and, and they were in the vestry lay a huge pile of these notes and the scholar said, was standing there and he commented, Peter can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. And the priest answered immediately and I can no longer say, stand up and walk. Now that's the sort of thing that he came about, you know, there's plenty of money but no power to actually heal these people. These times of Bible study became hours of self-examination and correction for all those present and also for Erlo himself. 
Now that's where we fall in a hole. That's where Anne and I fall in a hole. We don't want to go through that self-examination and correction. We don't want to sort of spend hours and hours, you know, looking at looking at ourselves and making sure that we're lining up with the Bible and the biblical sort of standards. That's that's probably why this is not we've never sort of nailed it. We've gone a bit along the way, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And then um, he said they started this Bible study and they did it in a tiny little sort of cattle shed that had sort of been had the holes patched up and it had windows on the outside and and they had a tennis court out the back where all the flash people sort of used to play tennis um and he earlier wanted to close the window and god said to him then i will remain outside if it seems unpleasant to you if those outside hear something you worry about what people think and on another occasion he was walking past and he wanted to have a quick shave and a change of clothes before going to this little meeting place and again he was a reproach in his heart and there is certainly still pride in you. You feel ashamed and to appear unshaven in front of the people. Um, the prayer times became more and more important and they became times of hours of repentance and lamentation over their impure lives. They became so intense that virtually all other things were forgotten. Hardly had time for sleep. Christmas went by without them even knowing about it and there was a group of 20 or 30 people simply charged with the spirit of penitence. All right, now, after a few weeks of this, you know, we're probably into you know, some months of it, someone decided that they just wanted to pray that the Lord would break out, and so she did. And something really changed. And, you know, it would have been some concerns with theologically this because we sort of still think of ourselves as very much led by the Spirit Christians. All right, so, um, inexpressibly... A, a, new presence of God entered into their understanding all the privation and concern they had thus far had gone and was pushed into the background by the power of the Holy Spirit a new era in the service of Erlo and his team had been ushered in and this is what happens it was a sort of a bit of a we can have this at any level of course but it was a bit of a revival and it had proclamation healing and deliverance the wonder working God in proclamation sometimes Earl would come out of his house now and 200 people were already waiting without any invitation simply out there as an inward in compulsion to hear the Bible message and the team would, would after a 12 day um, one of those evangelistic tent meetings they would then count 3,900 people who stayed behind for the counselling as well and so it just broke open they did all the same things they did before but now instead of trying to get them into the tent they didn't have enough room in the tent for them it was just amazing how that broke out and became something way and way and way beyond that anything they could hope and imagine however the tough thing this is it praying without ceasing this is what they did they prayed without ceasing they had a spirit of deep repentance came over them a confession of sin uh, no compromising the Bible, no compromising the gospel or what was going on in the Bible. Um, total commitment in a way that they just couldn't believe was going on. And what they did was this. They decided to ask the church to come together after all this prayer meeting and they sort of wanted to tell the church what was going on. And as they did, they told the church what had happened to them and they had a day-long sort of day of prayer and fasting. As they started, all the church left. They just headed off and there was only the team left in the end. There was only this 20 or 30 people left in the church. Only to find out later that these people were so convinced of all the things that they'd done wrong, they'd gone back to you know, make peace with uh, 
their wives or take the shovel back that they flogged from the council or you know do all those sorts of things and that's what they'd done and they came drifting back in at the end of that night and this is the sorts of things that they you know they were doing now this is the questions that they asked of the church on that day do we thank god for everything we enjoy every day you know do we thank god for all of those sorts of things all the time are our lives do we consult him in all our decisions are our lives and actions a testimony to the lord do we esteem others better than ourselves now i didn't like this one it says if i interrupt someone else during a conversation i'm act contrary to the word of the lord in fact i thought sometimes there'll be times people who i talk to i won't get a word in for three days there'll be some people like that won't they if you don't interrupt them if you don't in fact well let's not go on there do we talk about others mistakes without discussing with the person in question are we shallow-hearted hangers-on or dedicated to followers of the lord do we really try to hear god's voice and discern his will for our lives is he truly lord of our time our will and our possessions do we fail to notice pride and complacency in our lives do we criticize others when we shouldn't when we don't have a clue whether god's in part of those or not do we criticize them for building nice big buildings and uh, joining together as churches do we do those sorts of things all right now that's the sort of thing that we were just talking about in a in a way that would make you think if we got those things right it would certainly be a big change in what goes on in our lives now obviously that's a very very long-winded and quite difficult task to go in this you're talking about sort of a six or eight month sort of time there that that all happened in and whether you are really up to doing it last week i was really concerned by singing that song yeah it was oceans it says this uh, spirit lead me where my trust is without borders let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me take me deeper than my feet could ever wander we sing those songs without really whether we've really made that decision that that's really what we want you know you be careful what you ask for be careful what you ask for if you're not careful I remember I was out in the bush one day with or out a friend one day his butcher and he was um, we were out collecting stock for him to put through his butcher shop and he had lost a calf it wasn't a big paddock he'd lost his calf in and and he'd lost this calf and I'd, we, no, we just couldn't find it. There was, it was only probably a 10-acre paddock. And I prayed and I said, Lord, if you let me find this calf, I'll have a yarn to Chris about, about you and about that prayer, the answer to that prayer. And guess what? Two steps and here's this calf tucked in under a little bit of a ledge and he's sleeping there. And I thought, you've really got to be careful what you ask for, don't you? You've really got to be careful. And in fact... I squibbed it a bit because this bloke, you know, he was a, we played footy together and, it, and I had to go back down to the butcher shop the next day when he was making saveloys. I can even remember this. And I sat there and I said, Chris, I've got to talk to you about something. And he was as good as gold. I mean, I don't know why I was worried about it, but it was really good as gold. And we talked about what went on. Merv, what, what was that verse, the, the words in that song that you said, you've got to be careful what you pray for? Something about kissing the lips. Can you kiss the leper clean and do as, do as much as this unseen? Again, you're singing about things that you might well be, you know, not quite committed to. You might be in a pretend agreement there. You say, yes, 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 God, but in fact, really, your heart says, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. That sort of thinking, you know, that sort of thinking. All right, so all of that did change our habits in the church, okay? It changed our habits in our prayer meetings. You know, our prayer life, we said this, it's got to be real, it's got to be current. 
You know, you've got to get your hearts in gear before you open your mouth. That's the first thing. And this had to happen in our prayer meeting. And not only that, uh, we had to have in our prayer meetings, we had some sort of praise because we know the Lord dwells in the praise of his people. So we had to bring that into any of our prayers and prayer meetings. And so our attitude changed so that we were talking to the Lord in a real way, down to earth way. There was praise on our lips. We were thankful, all of those sorts of things. Um, the way we spoke to the Lord was with honour and an honour but with a with a real degree of boldness as well Sunday services changed as well I mean like what we just brought in at the beginning of this service we said you've got to have a current testimony you know God's got to be doing something in our lives here and now and we also before we singing before we sang anything we'd say why are we singing why are we singing is that just because what we do in a, in a Sunday morning do is that all we do we come and sing and so we had to ask ourselves why do we sing and so we looked at the music and said is what we are singing truly a reflection of who we are and what we, what we think and believe in our hearts? So we did that. But we made it real and every day we sort of thought that the preaching has got to be just down to earth. It's got to be something that you know, people can really relate to. And those sorts of things. And we tried to cut religion out of our services. You know what I mean by that. We talked about that earlier. But we tried to cut that sort of stuff out of our services. And the truth is it made a huge difference. It made an enormous difference when we started along those lines all right we're going to stop there you don't have to do that i mean that was one person's story of course but it's a great story that sort of takes us and challenges us about whether we've actually just settled for second best and missing the best you know settle for something that's good and really good in fact sometimes very very good but maybe just maybe along the lines we've missed the best too because god's presence and his wonderful sort of power is just outstanding let me pray and we'll finish all right lord we this is a this is a great picture of moses um standing before you and saying your presence is the only thing that really counts the only thing that that makes all the difference and how will anybody know who we are and what will distinguish us from anyone else on the face of the earth unless your presence is with us lord i want to pray that in our lives now this morning that we would capture that vision that we would capture it and really take it on board and and go that in in that direction in whatever way that takes this might be just a small seed that's that's planted but we we can go home and do that individually and then we can do that really as a church when we get back together again lord make us i pray um, value that above everything else and i suspect lord once we get that right everything else will fall into place we commit ourselves to you, Lord, truly. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.